as I told you last week, we were talking about giving and giving our money and so forth. I told you this week's lesson is kind of like part two of that. And now that I've got next week's lesson together and study, it almost looks like it's another part of this. It looks like these three lessons, um, there's some similarities, there's some things where they, they cover the same thing, but uh, they do hit different areas. And tonight we're going to talk about uh, Christian help for the hungry and sick. Now the Old Testament teaches kindness for those in, in need. And then it kind of flows into the New Testament with the ministry of Christ. And it's supplying a perfect example to Christians today that we need to show compassion uh, for a, a needy world and those that um, need help if they're sick or if they're hungry. Uh, everybody here can perform miraculous gifts of healing, right? Lindsay's the only one who said, yes, I guess I got my hand up. No, we, we can't do that. But are there ways that we can help people who are sick? Throw out some ideas for me. Pray for them. What else? Food. We can provide them meals. They're sick. They're recuperating for a couple weeks. Uh, what else? Talk, comfort them, call them on the phone, pray with them, send them cards, go get them medicine. They're, they're stuck at home. They have nobody to help them. They need their prescriptions filled. You could go to get their prescriptions filled. What else could you do while you're there at the pharmacy? Get them some milk, eggs, bread, you know, staples or whatever they may need. Food. They're... Uh, we have, it's not been happening too much this summer, but something outside their house could be getting cut their grass for them, you know, take their garbage out for them, maybe get their mail for them. They, they, you know, they may not be able to walk, you know. So we may not be able to heal them, but as a church body and family, we can help. And, and there's a lot of different ways when we think about it where we can uh, help an individual. And again, we'll talk about what we can do for the hungry. Uh, Laura said, I'm hungry usually every 45 minutes. She has to feed me a bottle or something. So, huh. <laughs> All right. So, question number one is, what was the Levitical code, or when was the Levitical code constructed, or when was the Law of Moses constructed? Okay, when they got out of Egypt and when they were wandering in the wilderness, so they went right to uh, Mount Sinai, they got Ten Commandments, definitely a part of the, the, the law code, Levitical code, uh, different events, things that happened. God started to then plan, hey, you're going to the promised land, you're going to have property, you're going to have all these different sundry laws and things that you're going to need. So Moses was getting this information from God, penning it, put it together in what? He wrote five books, right? The Pentateuch. And within there we have the law code. Now the date that um, the lesson writer gives, he said it was probably around 1400 BC. 1400 BC. 1400 years before Christ came on the sea, uh, scene. 
Now, you're saying, why don't we jump into this question? Because we're going to talk about this here, here in a little bit. When did the scenes of the book of Ruth take place? Okay, this is a hard one. It was around 250 years after the Levitical Code was given. So around 1150 BC was the time of, of Ruth. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that tonight, talk about um, Naomi, what she did coming back and her daughter-in-law coming with her, Ruth, and uh, what took place there with Boaz. Now, <clears throat> with what is the New Testament filled with? <clears throat> the New Testament's filled with examples that teach us that we must help the needy. You might think, what are you talking about, Dave? Where, where do you see some of these things? Okay, to, to come up with uh, those conclusions. Well, Jesus, whenever he went around, what did he do? We're talking about helping the hungry and the sick. He went around to cities and villages and he did what? Healed people. And he had compassion on people. Okay, let's notice a couple of these accounts. Notice in Luke chapter 10, 33. Very famous uh, account is written here. Um, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 30 is where this account starts. Um, but I'm just going to jump down to verse 33. Someone like to read that for us? Luke 10, 33. Dwayne? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He took pity. My, my translation says he felt compassion. So Jesus, when he was out, what would happen? He'd feel compassion. Something would stir him. He's preaching the gospel, but he would see these sick people, and he's like, I want to help them. So here he gives this example and talks about this um, priest um, he called, tell, calls him a, um, uh, there in verse 30, uh, you know, this man was going down from Jerusalem. He got stripped, beat, left half dead. Verse 31 says, by chance a priest came down the road and what did he do? Did he show compassion on him? Passed by. Passed by. Went on the other side of the road. Oh, he's got the stomach virus. <laughs> Like Dave, he's got COVID. He's got something wrong with him. I'm staying away from him. Uh, put the black uh, X or something on my head. Um, then a little bit later, a Levite comes by. Now, Le Levites, you have to be a, a, pre a Levite to be a priest. But that doesn't mean all Levites are priests. Priests walk by, but here's somebody that should know the law, knows what's right. This Levite comes and he runs right over to this guy that's half beat and helps him, right? What's he do? Same thing as the priest did. He goes on the other side of the road and gets out of Dodge. You know, now again, people could throw up many different reasons. Well, I didn't know if the, these guys that beat him and stole him were hiding there in the hills or the rocks, and I don't want them doing that to me. My wife's down here at Jericho and waiting for me and the kids and I haven't seen them for a while I've been serving up at the temple and doing whatever 
you know, I, I need to get home. You know, I, I don't even know if that guy's alive. Okay, but here comes a Samaritan. What was a Samaritan? Jews like Samaritans? Didn't like them? They were considered a foreigner or a stranger, right? And here's this guy coming and helping a Jew that got beat up on the road as he's doing whatever business in the area. And he binds him up and gives him money and uh, gives him his supplies and everything and takes him to an inn and has him looked after and says, hey, when I come back through, uh, I'm coming to check on him and you write what this costs and I'm going to reimburse you. You know, man, this guy was really a friend and, and did something good. And Jesus is teaching that to the crowds, telling them this is how uh, we need to be. If you flip back to Luke, the 15th chapter, we see the account here of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost boy. And the boy went and took his inheritance. He went and squandered it and loose living and probably being bad, doing a lot of different things. A famine hit that land. He didn't have anything. Uh, the only job he could get was feeding pigs. And he wasn't even able to, to eat the pods that he was giving the pigs. Uh, when I was doing some research the last time when I preached on this, it said the pods, the animals could eat them, but it would make the people sick. So he's feeding these things, and he was longing to eat these pods these, that the pigs were eating, but he couldn't. So what did he do? He decides, comes to his senses, I'm going to go home. I'd rather be a slave working for my dad than out here and possibly die. And in verse 20 it says, this is the, the lost son here, the prodigal. So he got up, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And again, we know what happens in the story. But the father here represents God and it's saying that he ran to him and he felt compassion for him. See, Jesus, when he was going out and about and he was preaching and teaching, he would feel compassion for people. Notice in Matthew, the ninth chapter, <clears throat> verse 35 and 36. Matthew 9, 35 through 36. Anyone like to read those two verses? Okay, Eric. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, so here again, he's going around preaching, teaching, healing all these diseases and everything. And he saw the people and he felt compassion for them. Do we feel compassion for people? When we see somebody that can't pay their bills or doesn't have food or money, I always feel compassion for the people standing on the streets and everything. You know, but then I see the same individuals there. And I, there's this one guy, how many years, Laura? Probably our whole ministry here, around 28 years. He used to stand by the Buick dealership down by where you got on the parkway or where you'd get on the turnpike. He stood there, and I guess they must have told him he wasn't allowed to panhandle there anymore, and then he stands down by Sam's Club now. 
And there's some other people when other people were doing these things too. And that's a shame that there's people that are healthy, that could get jobs, that could work, that could do things. And that puts, you know, it makes us not want to help people. But as Christians, we should feel compassion. And, and somehow we ought to be able to weed out these people are sincere. These people need help. Uh, you know, I'm going to give them 20 bucks in my wallet or whatever to try to help them. I'm going to go buy them a meal. I'm going to do something for them. And Jesus had compassion. I don't see any of these accounts where he, he walked up to them and said, do you deserve this, Lindsay? You know, Eric, do you deserve this before I help you this way or heal you or feed you or Laura? Do we ever see Jesus do those things? He did them. He felt compassion for them. Mark, Mark 1, 32 through 34, another scripture. <clears throat> Mark 1, 32 through 34. I'll read this one. Mark 1, 32 through 34. Uh, right before this, we see Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. In verse 31, it says, And he came to her, raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her. And she waited on them. So here she just woke up from being sick, having a bad fever, and she started waiting on them, cooking them food, taking care of them. I think that's a miraculous healing, right? Verse 32, when evening came after sunset, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So we see here that again, Jesus heals all these people that are sick and um, helps them. And again, doesn't have them fill out a, you know, a paper or anything in that nature. He, he heals them. He helps them. And we see this type of example in the New Testament where Jesus shows us this. His teachings show us. And I wrote here in my notes, um, again, the New Testament's filled with examples that teach us that we must help the needy. But how will we be able to present the gospel to somebody who's hungry or who's in need? We need to show love and compassion for them and help them with their physical and material things that they need. Why? So that we can then help them with their spiritual needs. We need to be able to show the people that we care about them. We, we care that they're sick. We, we care that they don't maybe have money to pay a bill or to buy some medicine that they need or whatnot. And when they see that love and that concern that we have for them, that can open up a door of evangelism for us where then they would be able to receive uh, the gospel of Christ and the teachings of the scriptures. Anybody have any questions there on one through three? Okay, question four goes along with it. How interested must we be in other people? Uh, Romans 12, 15 tells us we must uh, feel for other people. Rejoice when they rejoice, and we should weep when they weep. And again, when they're sick, when they're having problems, we ought to feel for them. We ought to feel compassion. It ought to stir us to want to do something. 
And as Christians, you know, we got to follow our in the footsteps of Jesus. And uh, again, look at the far-reaching effects that it could have. And those who could be one to the gospel if we would, again, not be greedy or selfish or say, nope, I'm going to the other side of the street and say, yeah, I'm going to help them. I'm going to do what little I can. Question number five, what was the condition back of the ancient world so far as freedom and kindness were concerned with the law of Moses and, and when the law of Moses was given? How, how was it back then, around 1400 BC to say 800 BC? How was the ancient world? Every man for himself, tooth for a tooth, eye for an eye. I got a bigger army, and if I whoop you, you're in trouble because we're taking life and land, and we're going to loot, and we're going to torture, and we're going to mutilate those who, who don't want to um, be involved with uh, paying us taxes or having us rule over them. There was a lot of bitterness, brutality, and uh, slavery. All these things were, were taking place. And again, it was the, the stronger, the bigger. They, they ruled the day. But was that the way that it was with God? Is that what God wanted? You see, God taught his people to, to be gentle kindness, tender, tenderness. They were to be kind to all, especially to the widows and to the orphans and to the strangers. Let's notice a couple scriptures to help us here. Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus 19. Verse 9 and 10. These are uh, concluded in different sections they have what's called sundry laws and there's a bunch of all these different laws and there are different places throughout Leviticus even the end of Exodus some in Deuteronomy and uh, here are some some laws again where God wanted them to be compassionate on the widows and the orphans and the strangers and the people that were in the land Leviticus 19:9 says now when you reap the harvest of your land Make sure you reap every little grain from your field. Is that what it says? It says, you shall not reap the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor the needy, the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So question number six is, why was the grain left in the corners of the field? It was left there for the poor. Leviticus 19, 9-10. Question seven goes along with it. What was done with the fallen fruit? What would they do back then? They would go and... Uh, Fruit looks ripe, looks good. Same thing with the grapes. What would they do? They'd go through and they'd pick all the nice, big, beautiful, purple grapes and everything. What would you do with the green ones that were there? 
You left them. Well, you couldn't go back and repick them later when they became ripe. Those were for the poor and the widows. Here you went and the apples were in the tree and you shook the branches and you beat the, the branches and everything and the fruit falls and you pick the fruit up and you take it. Some of it you come and you look and you're like, wow, there's still some fruit up there. And oh, look, fruit's falling on the ground. You're allowed to pick that fruit up and hit the branches again and get those, that fruit out of it? Not according to the law. Who was it for? It was for the needy, for the poor, for the stranger who's coming through your land who may be hungry and need something. It would be better to have him go and hit those branches, wouldn't it? Or go pick some grapes off your vine, right? Or pick some wheat in the corners of your field than coming and, uh, okay, it's getting dark. I see him over there. They're getting ready to go in the house. Okay, guys, all got your swords. You got your arrows. You got the fire to light those arrows. We're in attack at homestead and we're taking their food and we're taking what we need. We're starving to death. You see how people would have been back then? They need food. They couldn't go to the 7-Eleven. They couldn't go to the grocery store. They were going to go take what they needed if they had to, if they were dying. So again, instead of doing that, people that didn't have somebody to help them or they didn't have a dad, he got lost in war, he died. You know, the widow, the orphan, the strangers coming through the land, marching through, going to Babylon, going down to Egypt, whatever. There was something for them. And God was looking after uh, these individuals. And um, we need to realize that here with both of these, these are commands of God. It's not, if you'd like to leave the corners of your grain, you do it. If you'd like to not go and beat the trees or go pick the vines again, do it. No, he said you do it. Whatever happens after this, that's the way it is. You don't mess with it. Okay, and what, what would that do too? That would show the neighbors that Dave's not greedy. I, you know, there's some here for you. You know, if there's poor people or needy people, it would help me to not be all self-centered. I got to get everything I can. And I want to get fill all my barns and silos. And you know what I mean? No, there's other people that may need uh, some help. Notice if you wouldn't Deuteronomy, the 10th chapter, verses 18 through 19. Deuteronomy 10. Eighteen and nineteen. Anyone like to read those two verses? Deuteronomy ten, eighteen, and nineteen. Okay, Bill. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the foreigner residing among them, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. What? Here's the law of Moses telling us to love. Love strangers and foreigners. Isn't that strange? A lot of people pass these scriptures by. But God loves man, doesn't he? And God wants man to love other men and people that, that need help. And it says here to execute judgment for the orphans and the widows. Who's going to take care of them? Who's going to look after them? Show love for that alien, for that stranger, that foreigner that's in the land. Do what? Give them food. 
Not only food, but what else? Clothing. I only have two pairs of clothes. Well, give the other one to them. God will provide. Trust God. Verse 19, show your love for these aliens. And that why? Because they were aliens and foreigners in Egypt. And they were mistreated. The taskmasters were hard on them and they beat them. They made them work hard, made them work from uh, sun up to sundown. You know, they weren't nice. So remember how you were treated and how people dealt with you. Don't, don't be that way. I don't want my people to be that way when you come into your land. Okay, interesting that we see that. Should we be like the people around us today? Again, people just want to hoard. They want everything for themselves. What, what, what could those people do? They have what they, they need. They could sell some of those things that they're hoarding. What are they going to do with them? Sell those things and, and maybe help some of your family members in need or help a neighbor. Uh, give it to a good cause. Uh, give it to one of these places where they're trying to cure cancer or heart disease or something. <clears throat> Question number nine. We're going to uh, talk about the, the book of Ruth. But um, what was the nationality of Ruth? Anybody remember? Moabitess. And she was a Gentile. She wasn't a Jew. So here's a Gentile Moabite woman coming with her mother-in-law, uh, Naomi, who said, hey, stay in your land. Stay with your people. And uh, she doesn't. She goes, no. Wherever you go, I'm going with you. I'm taking care of you. I'm going to help you. Now, in the overall story, if you remember at question 10, what blessing did she obtain by going and gleaning in the fields at the harvest time? Because when Naomi and um, Ruth come back to the land, it's the harvest time. and They don't have anything. Okay, here's a widow. She doesn't have any sons. Her sons have died. Here, her daughter-in-law is a widow. He has nobody. All they have is each other. Okay, here's a destitute case. These people needed help. And so she comes back to her homeland, comes back to Bethlehem there, um, where she had some relatives and they were coming to, to, to try to get some help. And um, it's the time of gleaning. Maybe Ruth doesn't say, saw what was going on in the fields and said something to Naomi and said, yeah, go ahead, I give you permission. Go ahead out there and go ahead and glean. See if you can get something. Man, I'm sure hungry. We need something. And he, uh, here God blessed her. And uh, what happened? Whose field did she end up going and gleaning in? Boaz. And who was this guy, Boaz? Boaz was a near relative of Naomi. Elimelech. Somehow it, he was a brother or a cousin or something. But there was another relative that was closer than Boaz to Elimelech. Okay, but what happens? He's like, talks to his servants and the people that are in charge of the people that are gleaning his fields and everything. He's like, who is this woman? And uh, the story gets out. and Everybody's like, hey, she came, left her family, her land, her religion, come here and is taking care of Naomi. Naomi's my relative. 
through Elimelech. And uh, hey, take care of her. Drop some gleanings for her. Help her. If she needs a drink when it's hot out, let her go and drink at the pots. And uh, that day at lunch, he wants to know more about her. She calls her over. He gives her some hot grain to eat. Uh, gives her water. Tells her, don't go to anybody else's fields or anything. We're going to take care of you. We're going to make sure you have food. So I guess she beat out the, the grain that she picked up that day, and she had an ephah. Um, I, I didn't look up exactly how much that was, but she took that home. Naomi was thrilled. She's like, wow, we can make some bread. She wanted to know where she was at. She said, this is good. Stay there. Stay with this guy. He's wealthy. He'll take care of you. So I guess through this period of how many days or weeks it took place, she started a conversation with Boaz, talked with him. Boaz blessed her, gave her stuff. And um, she evidently liked Boaz, and Boaz evidently liked her. And uh, through this, uh, if you read the account, chapter one's more or less all they left. They died, and they come back. Chapter two tells the story of her going and gleaning. But then as it goes, she comes to the night when he is... Um, reaping the harvest and they're beating out the wheat and everything and Naomi did a little bit of like matchmaking maybe she was Cupid back then and she tells her get a bath put your best clothes on you go down there try to help out hang out and then you watch where he goes and lays and you go and uncover his feet and lay there and see what happens so he drank a little bit and was happy he wakes up in the middle of the night, maybe even kicked her by accident. He's like, sat up, it says there in the narrative. And he's like, who are you? What are you doing? And she explains to him. And uh, I guess he took his garment, laid it upon her, told her to stay till morning. Then he uh, has her take her garment in the morning, uh, right when it's at dusk, before anybody would know who she was. Said, don't tell anybody that you were here. I'm gonna take care of this matter today. And uh, we're going to get you a near relative here to redeem you, to redeem Naomi's property and her land and to be able to provide an heir to take over this property. And uh, he loads her up with a bunch of grain, takes her home, and um, Naomi said, don't worry, this matter will be done by the end of the day. Uh, he goes into the gate. The nearest relative comes. He said, pulls him aside, he goes and gets 10 men in the gate there and said, hey, would you witness this? Talks to him, the guy says, hey, I'll redeem uh, Elimelech's property and whatnot. And then he says, well, there's a girl involved. You need to be able to provide an heir. And uh, he said, oh no, I can't do that because that may mess my inheritance up for my children and so on and so forth. So if, if you wanna go ahead and do this, uh, the right is yours. And what they would do is they would take their old dirty nasty sandal off. And he did that and he gave it to him. I don't know what that meant, but he gave his sandal to him uh, saying, you're the one. And um, the 10 men that were there witnessed these things. Everybody knew that Ruth was a uh, honorable woman. They saw her work ethic and who she was. So he went and through this, what does he do then? For, for Ruth and her labors. He marries her. Uh, she conceives and she has a son 
And uh, his name is fourth chapter there, Laura? Obed. Obed. And Obed gives birth and has a son and his name is anybody? Jesse. And Jesse has a son and his name is David. He has other sons. But that narrative is neat. The story showing compassion, love, how they would use the, the near relative and everything in this account. And also where David came from uh, through a Gentile, Moabite woman. And again, remember who eventually comes through this line. Jesus. And again, you go back to Joshua in the time of their conquering. Uh, there's another Gentile woman that's in the line of Jesus from Jericho. Lars over here whispering. Just say it. Rahab. Okay, so you have two women there uh, in the genealogy of Jesus who were Gentiles. But God puts them in there. And again, showing his compassion and, and what is right. So again, Ruth, very neat story. Uh, it's usually a little drawn out when you preach on it, but there are a lot of wonderful things there uh, in that story. Now, um, question 10 again, what, what did she get? She got help for her mother-in-law and herself. They didn't starve because she was proactive and she worked and um, got food, but eventually she gained a husband. Um, and the sadness and everything that they had, both of them, uh, Naomi losing her husband and her two children and not having an heir, and then also Ruth losing her husband, uh, I believe Mylon may have been her husband, and uh, she now receives, gets a new husband, Boaz, and uh, again, uh, their heirs um, become great men in the history of Israel. Question number 11. What did Jesus do for the sick? Healed them. We already read those passages, right? Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 35 through 36, and Mark 1, 32 through 35. So Jesus healed the sick. And uh, why? He had compassion. He, he was stirred. He felt something. Man, I, I, I got to help him. How are they going to accept the, the teachings about the gospel and the kingdom and uh, about me and what's going to happen with me in my life if, if I don't help these people? He, he, he died, you know, died on the cross for him. He wanted to help them physically if he was going to help them in this great way spiritually. So again, he saw them and he felt compassion for them. Here's two stories where he felt compassion. Question number 12. What two miracles of feeding the multitudes did the Gospels tell us about? Feeding the 5,000 and uh, 4,000. Yeah, okay, let's look at the, the feeding of the 4,000. Flip to Mark 8, verses uh, 1 through 9. I'll read that real quick. We have a little bit of time here. All right, I'm playing around in the Old Testament. Don't want to do that. Um, Mark chapter 8. Now again, Jesus is teaching and preaching. And uh, 
These people have been following him for days. Again, there's not a 7-Eleven or a grocery store handy. They're out in the middle of the wilderness. So it says here in Mark 8, starting in verse 1, In those days when there was again a large crowd, they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. Some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do we have? And I guess they must have went and asked people. And says they had seven. Verse 6. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and prayed over them. And he broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate. They were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them away. So we see here Jesus felt compassion for them. They were hearing his preaching, his teaching didn't want to send them away and some of them faint or not be able to make it, have the strength or energies that they need. There were some there that still had some bread uh, in the group. And it says they had some small fish. Uh, I can go into the food cupboard there, open up a can of sardines. You see them little small fish in there? That's what they had. A couple of those small little fish somebody had as a little snack. And it says that with those seven loaves and those two small fish, they, he fed how many? 4,000 people. 4,000 people. And then they picked up seven baskets of pieces. They didn't want to leave any, so they kept it and they ate those uh, themselves, probably the disciples and the people that were with them. Now, some will say, wait a second, the feeding of the 5,000 is like the same thing. Yeah. Well, that's a contradiction, is it? It worked with the feeding of the 5,000 back in Mark chapter 6. And he does it again over here with this feeding. And a lot of people say that there was 5,000 men, meaning there would have been women, children, others there. Same thing with the 4,000. There would have been women, children, and so forth there. So he fed probably more than 5,000 and more than 4,000. And again, he's the creator. He's the one who provides the, the rain and the sunshine and the ground and uh, the grains of wheat and so forth so we can make bread. And he has this ability to be able to do this and go above and beyond what nature would call for or our laws of nature and was able to help these people. And again, why? Because he loved them. He felt compassion for them. 
So he helped them. So Mark 8, 1 through 9, talks about the feeding of the 4,000, and then the feeding of the 5,000 is in Mark chapter 6, 30 through 44. You can read that later. Now the lesson writer here jumps uh, from here, and he goes and talks about the judgment scene. Let's go back to Matthew, the 25th chapter. We're going to use this to, to close and uh, answer these last couple questions here. And um, many um, commentators and scholars believe that this is the um, best judgment account seen uh, in the scriptures. We know there's others. I always like to go into Revelation 20, the great white throne scene, where the books, where all the people were called uh, great and small, and the books are open, and the book of life, and they're judged by those things. Uh, but this one here is, again, in interesting. Um, Matthew 25, starting in 31, talks about the Son of Man, that's Jesus. When he comes in his glory, when's that going to be? Second coming, and all the angels are going to be with him, right? They're going to be gathering people up and bringing them here. And they're going to, he's going to sit on his throne, all the nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will come and say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed to my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to see me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So we see here, or we're going to see in a few more verses, that these people that did this didn't even realize they were doing it. It must have just been a part of their life. They're going to get rewarded for doing this. So it, it tells us that not only are sins going to be looked at in the judgment, but also our outward works and things that we're doing, our actions and our deeds. Notice what he says to the people that are on the left. Verse 41. Then he will also say on the left to the goats, depart from me, accursed ones. Here he condemns them into the eternal fire. That's hell, right? Second death, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. Naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So when we serve 
and we're helping people, we're, we're doing it for the Lord. When we're helping people, when we have compassion and we see somebody that needs something and we help them, it's like we're giving to the Lord. Oh, I don't want to give them something because they could be some charlatan or a creep. Maybe we need to rethink that. If they're a charlatan or a creep, what's that have to do with us? Who's going to judge them? God. But God will judge me and say, hey, why didn't you help that person? They went and fell asleep that night and died. They were starving to death. They needed food. They needed help. So again, I think we need to, to think about these things and, and really pray about it and consider how we, we help uh, those who are sick and those who are, are hungry. It says there in verse 46, these will go away to eternal punishment. Those on the left, they're going to be condemned. But the righteous into eternal life, they're going to receive a reward. So we see here this judgment scene and we see the, the events of it. 14, again, why were some rewarded? It was because they helped the needy and the sick and those who were in prison and, and needed some type of help. And again, these can be doors of opportunities for us to be able to help, but also hopefully be a door of opportunity to teach the gospel. Old Testament law, we see these things even back then. Jesus told them to love their neighbors and to help them. These things come all the way into the life and ministry of Jesus. And Christians ought to be doing these things. And if they were to be doing those things then, we should be doing them now. Any comments? Questions? Alright, thank you for being here. And again, next week we're going to build a little bit further off of this. Let's pray. Dear God and Heavenly Father, we love you and praise you. We thank you that we could be here and uh, be able to look at these scriptures and these teachings. Help us to be compassionate, dear God, and uh, have you be the judge uh, at the end. Uh, yeah, there may be some things we can judge and we can see and we need to be wise about that. And uh, we know what the teachings of the New Testament teach. If somebody doesn't work, uh, they shouldn't eat and so on and so forth. But those who need help, help us to be able to recognize the areas that they need a, a blessing and help and help us to be able to walk through those doors and uh, give them assistance. Be with everyone who is here. Give us safety now on the highways and byways. Be with many as they're going to be traveling, going to various uh, family camps and uh, our camp here and vacations and different things that they're involved in. And we just ask your blessing upon everyone and bring us back uh, at the next appointed time that we would be able to share and again, work as a, an army as a family of believers and for us to be able to make a difference in our community and in our world. We love you and we thank you for Christ and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you.